0: I probably should start with an apology. If you're visiting this morning and you were expecting a real sermon, uh, then you're going to be disappointed. Um, This is not a real sermon, so you'll have to come back next week for that one. Um, But I think you'll find that we do have a message of hope uh, for this Advent Sunday. We're going to share the speaking, and uh, you'll soon find out that Denise is a very special person indeed. Uh, after our accident, um, we spent many hours together in hospitals and in doctors' waiting rooms doing physical therapy exercises in the gym and recovering at home. And we found out that actually we're still best friends. And, <laughs> and from my perspective, there's no one else on the planet uh, I'd rather spend my time with. We're so grateful that we both survived the accident and we still have each other. But enough of these introductions, you're probably asking what did happen to these two people, and more importantly, what can we learn from it that will be of value to all of us? So to help us with that, we've got a short video and uh, probably dull the house lights so we can see the video clearly. Denise was a teacher and back in 2008, my work as an engineer took us on assignment to Texas. If you'd told us then that we were both going to be horribly injured in a road accident and that we both lose our left legs above the knee, we would have been absolutely convinced that we could not have coped. We're Chris and Denise Arthy and we're excited that our book is finally here, Highway 35.
1: In our book, we tried to be open and honest about the accident, our life-changing injuries and coping with disability. We've also reflected on the things that helped us survive and put our lives back together again. Things like the amazing support we received from family, friends, neighbours and our church. The importance of making good choices every day and particularly the decision to persevere. The gritty and difficult subject of forgiveness and of course the central role our faith played.
0: We wrote this book because we know that life doesn't always go to plan. There are bumps in the road, some worse than others, and some a lot worse than ours. But whatever you're facing, it's our prayer that Highway 35 will help you to meet disaster head on with hope. okay if we could switch across to the the slides yeah there we go yeah it's all working um, so as you saw uh, it was a motorcycle accident I've always loved motorbikes I was on a motorbike on, on my 16th birthday and um, one of my lifelong ambitions was always to ride motorcycle road trips in the USA so when we got that Texas assignment that you heard about this was this was my big chance um, we were living the dream uh, so on the 16th of May 2008 at 2.30 in the afternoon uh, we were riding on highway 35 um, near the city of Corpus Christi down towards the Mexico border when A vehicle coming at over 80 miles an hour the other way suddenly veered across the road without warning and hit us head-on. The next vehicle behind us was a truck, Um, the vehicle that hit us hit the truck as well, almost killed the driver of the truck and seriously injured his wife. It turned out that the driver of the vehicle that hit us was over three times the drink drive limit. Um, He was um, 250 milligrams uh, of alcohol per 100 millilitres of blood, which means over half a litre of whiskey at 2.30 in the afternoon on a weekday. Now, at this point, I left Earth to go and live somewhere else for quite some time, so I'll let Denise take up the story.
1: Right, you're going to have to forgive me if I just imagine that you are an assembly of six and seven-year-olds. And then I'll relax. We were both terribly injured, as you can imagine. We were taken in his and hers helicopters to the nearest trauma hospital. We both had severely crushed left legs. Mine had to be amputated straight away. We both had broken left arms and hands. My arm was what they called degloved because I lost a lot of skin. We flew through the air, landed on our heads, so we both had concussion. Chris's was a lot worse than mine. And because Chris was at the front of the bike, he had the internal injuries. He had punctured lung, broken ribs, and a ruptured spleen. So Chris was in intensive care unit for more than two weeks. I got out of intensive care in less than a week. But Chris in the intensive care unit was in a medically induced coma most of that time. Imagine I just came to in a hospital bed. I'm looking down at flat bedclothes where my left leg should be. I've got a huge heavy plaster cast on my left arm. I can't move. I'm in a lot of pain. And I know that Chris is more seriously injured. I just don't know how badly. And we've often described it to people as like a nightmare that you wake up to, not from. Our three youngsters, that you've just seen their heads, (laughs) they flew out to the USA. Um, They took a 10-hour flight, but not knowing how many parents they were going to have when they arrived. Chris's company were amazing. They organised and paid for a hotel, hire car, mobile phone, even gave them spending money. And the message was very much, stay until your parents are out of danger. But after 10 days, um, Chris's leg was killing him. So our eldest son and I signed for his amputation. That night, I can remember lying in bed. I just couldn't sleep. I was worrying, praying, praying, worrying. Really not a good combination. Um, Would Chris make it in his weakened state? And if he didn't make it, would he agree with the decision that we've now taken for him? But the amputation marked the start of his recovery. After a month, we were well enough to be moved to the rehabilitation hospital near Houston where we lived. We did lots of therapy. We both had further arm surgeries. We were both home two and a half months after the crash. We continued with outpatient therapy. Really exciting. Um, The four month mark, we were fitted with our first prosthetic legs but then you've got to learn to walk again. When Chris could walk 50 metres with a stick, they allowed him back to work part-time. Outpatient therapy lasted till the nine-month mark, and then we decided we better do a year of chiropractic therapy because of the damage to our spines from landing on our heads.
0: So that's what happened to us, but as I said earlier, probably of more importance. What can we learn from this, which is of value to all of us? And we have a number of things to say, as you might expect. Um, The first thing we would say is that miracles still happen. Um, A few weeks after we got home, we had an email from one of the state troopers who'd attended the accident. um, And he'd seen a lot of road accidents and injuries. And in his email, he wrote that uh, he'd heard that we survived and he couldn't believe it. Uh, he said it's just a miracle and in our case a large part of the miracle was the speed of the first response Uh, there was an emergency call um, police were on scene within 15 minutes and they joined volunteer fire crew who were already working uh, with the traffic control and keeping us safe Two fully crewed ambulances were scrambled and they were on scene within 24 minutes. And in less than an hour, uh, we were on these two life flight helicopters to the nearest trauma unit. First responders often talk about the golden hour. If things go well in that first hour after an accident, um, then chances of survival and recovery are dramatically different. And in our case, the golden hour just ran on rails. So first point is that miracles still happen. Uh, Watch out for them. We would also say that it's really important to intervene if we see crazy things happening. And we hope we're much better at this since our accident. Um, Our drunk driver was trying to drive home after having been on a fishing trip. So he'd been with others on a boat all morning who'd seen him drinking heavily. People will have seen him arrive back at the dock, inebriated, getting into his car to try and drive home. Witnesses had seen him driving very erratically for several miles on Highway 35. But nobody did anything. Nobody raised the alarm, which left us thinking, well, why is that so difficult? Well, we think the answer is actually found in the Bible. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says, fear of man will prove to be a trap. And it's true. We see something daft happening, and we think, well, maybe I should say something. Um, But fear of man, we're frightened. We're frightened of what people might think or what they might say or what they might do. So it's much easier to keep our opinions to ourselves. But if we keep doing that, the accident might happen. So our message to you is if you see something daft happening, be the brave one to make the intervention. Is this a good idea? And you may prevent an accident. You may prevent something like this. You may save a life. Okay, um, we'll have the next photo. Oh, I've got it here, haven't I? There we go, yeah. There are two reasons for showing this photo. Uh, one is that I like to brag. Um, I was a marathon runner before the accident and um, I just loved running, completed the world marathon majors. Uh, This was the Austin half marathon which was just a few weeks before our crash and I took an age group fifth place. The other reason for showing the photo though uh, is to underline the fact that being physically fit can not only give you life, I loved running, but it can also save your life. Uh, Denise was slim and fit and still is. <laughs> Exercising regularly every morning and walking with friends. Uh, the doctors both in the trauma unit and in the rehab unit uh, said that our survival and our recovery was a direct result of the fact that we were in good nick physically before the accident happened. Now. Endurance sports is not everyone's cup of tea. I understand that. Uh, But it is worth thinking about that a basic level of physical fitness can make all the difference when the crisis happens uh, because fit people are harder to kill.
1: Things are much better if you've got good support structure, good friends around you. As the news of the accident broke, four to five carloads of our US church were traveling down to Corpus Christi to visit us. Um, The UK church arranged flights for our youngsters and drove them to the airport. Our next door neighbors in America dropped everything, picked up our three and drove them to Corpus Christi. That is a four hour drive. And then they stayed overnight. Our American pastor made four trips down to Corpus, one a week to be with us, Um, a friend, because I got out of hospital before Chris, and I would have been in the house on my own, in a wheelchair, trying to cope. She came and stayed with me for two weeks before Chris got out of hospital. The neighbors, friends, and church put together this amazing rota. They brought us a meal every night. They arranged for transport to and from hospital visits, doctor's visits. They even arranged for help round the house we did have to change the meal rotor. This was Texas. The meals were enormous. (laughs) There was a gentleman in the church who was a building contractor. He said, don't worry. And he built a wheelchair ramp up to the front door, widened the family bathroom doorways, put up support rails. Church paid for the material. Doug offered his labor free of charge. We had lots of prayer. I can honestly tell you, it was tangible. We knew people were praying for us. It was like being lifted or carried above the circumstances. We had lots of flowers. We had lots of encouraging cards. Now, because I was a teacher, I had messages from the children I'd worked with. So the six and seven-year-olds down the road in Whitley um, wrote me letters. One little girl wrote, "'Dear Mrs. Arthy, "'I was so sad to hear about your bad crash. I hope you don't have another one. (laughs) I knew what she meant. Um, A few days later, similar, big brown envelope, this time filled with cards from the four- and five-year-olds in the American kindergarten class where I was volunteering. Now, they were quite young, so they'd copied what the teacher put on the board. So inside their cards, it said things like, get better soon, we miss you, one little girl. When I opened her card, and it still moves me today, quite independently, she wrote, do you see a rainbow? And on the back, she drew this beautiful rainbow. God's message of hope.
0: We've also learned that, at least for now, we can't expect to understand everything. This is the big why me question. I like to think I was a careful rider. I'd never crashed a machine before in all my years of riding. Um, I've never had a speeding ticket in my life, either on a motorcycle or in a car. Um, I did get a parking ticket once a number of years ago, but we were on our honeymoon and I think I must have been distracted. (laughs) And this was a well-planned trip. We had the right gear on, we knew where we were going, we weren't in any hurry, Uh, we were taking plenty of breaks. And why would this happen in all the tens of thousands of miles I've ridden motorbikes? Why would this happen on the rare occasion when I have my precious wife on the pillion? Well, I have this list. Um, It's the list of things that Chris does not understand. And this why me, why us question is pretty much at the top of the list. And when it's my turn to go to the pearly gates, I'm taking that list with me, because I want some answers. I have a feeling that when I get there, I'll toss the list away, um, because then it won't matter anymore. Um, We all know the scripture in 1 Corinthians, where it says, now we see but a poor reflection, uh, then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. But for now, that list is really important to me um, because it helps me understand that, for now, I don't have to understand everything.
1: We also learnt the importance of perseverance. Um, These Star Wars contraption things um, we used to wear three times a day for 30 minutes each day. Because after the surgery to our hands and arms, we had to work really hard at getting full range of motion back. And that was particularly painful. Now, these things are designed to rotate your arm, um, your forearm. Now, we couldn't do that. We had very little movement. Um, They used to say to us in therapy, make a fist. And that was all we could do. And it used to take 10 minutes to physically force, I can't do it, Chris will have to show you, physically force one finger down onto the palm of of your hand. I added up all the exercises we were doing and it came to um, up to four hours every day. And we had to eat and we had to sleep and we did a lot of sleeping. But you have to stick at therapy even if it feels hopeless. It's a bit like sometimes needing to rely on the faith of others. In the end, we just had faith in the faith of the therapists. But we got it all back. Which is amazing.
0: We know how important it is to have a sense of humour as well. Um, You probably realise that if you have an accident like ours, all sense of dignity departs. And uh, to illustrate this, I have this photograph. This is the gear I had to wear when they made the casting for the socket on my first prosthetic leg. You can see by the look on Denise's face that she's very amused by these high fashion items that I'm wearing. But don't worry, because half an hour later, it was Denise's turn to wear similar high fashion items. Denise is very pleased that I don't have a photo of that. Um, But I do have this photo. This one was taken just a few seconds after Denise stood up out of her wheelchair for the first time on her new prosthetic leg. Denise.
1: It's really hard to put into words how emotional that moment was. It caught me by surprise. After months in a wheelchair, to be standing upright again on two legs was just incredible.
0: We've also learned how important it is to have a hope and a future. It's the Advent message. It's important to know why you're here. Um, This is the two of us walking back into church for the first time on our new prosthetic legs, which was a great day. Psalm 124 has become our theme tune. And that's the psalm that says, if the Lord had not been on our side, then things would have overwhelmed us. But because he's on our side, it's as if the net has been broken and we're free.
1: I must interrupt you. You wouldn't believe the worship song, the first one they chose for that morning. It was, I'm still standing.
0: (laughs) We have to believe that we survived, we're still here, because the assignment on our lives isn't finished yet. Um, it may not be the assignment that we originally had in mind. It may be more along the lines of what we're doing this morning, which is working together, talking to people, and trying to explain to them that even if bad things happen, you don't have to be under the circumstances, but you can rise above them and how that's possible.
1: If you'd told us beforehand what was going to happen, I'm sure we would have said that our faith wouldn't have held up. But from the moment we surfaced in hospital, we were just so aware of God's presence in the room. It was like everything had been stripped away, but the Lord remained. He never let us go. I can remember one afternoon, Chris came up to my ward in his wheelchair, and he got tears streaming down his face. And he waved his good arm over his body and he said, do you know, this just reminds me that Jesus' body was broken for us. Because Jesus suffered, um, he understands our suffering. He understands our pain. And we just met the suffering Jesus, if you like, in hospital. And it was so comforting. Scriptures kept coming to mind. And uh, one in particular, which was Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes and I managed to write it out with a very shaky hand because I was on morphine at the time. Um, And I gave it to our pastor and I said, will you please read this over Chris in his coma? And will you stick it up in his ward? And all things have worked together for good. For a number of years, the first thing we would see when we woke up in the morning was the wheelchair beside the bed. And that's the first choice of the day. You have to get up, get in the wheelchair and start moving around. So, we found that each day was really just a series of choices. And if you put enough good choices together in a row, we got a good day. If you put enough good days together, you get a good week. And if you carry on like that, you can build a good life again. Another really important choice facing us was forgiveness. After the sentencing trial, a year after the accident, the drunk driver came over to us in the courtroom. And he got tears in his eyes and he said, "Um, I can't give you your legs back. I'm so terribly sorry for what I did to you. Can you ever possibly forgive me? Now surprisingly, we never felt any bitterness towards him. It was just like the Lord's gift to us. And that helped us put all our energy into recovering. Now this was a shock. He got a short prison sentence of four months in the county jail followed by 10 years probation. And as far as we're aware, he never lost his driving license. We decided to keep in touch with him. So we visited him in the county jail. Um, We exchange emails every six months. And um, before we left America, at the end of 2012, we had lunch with him and his wife. And we were able to reassure him that as far as we were concerned, he was forgiven. In 2019, when his probation finished, we had this amazing email from him in which he thanked us for our kindness and support because he said it helped him really cope emotionally over the years. Last year, we were in Texas again and um, we had lunch with him and his wife. And it w- they were really easy company. And right at the end, he surprised us. He said, well, next time you're in Texas, please come and stay with us in our house. We are still discovering the remarkable power of forgiveness.
0: That's not quite the end of our story. Um, About a year and a half after the accident, I took delivery of my first running leg. I have it here. It's one of these Blade Runner uh, carbon fiber spring uh, legs. And uh, although I was still quite unfit and I couldn't run continuously, I signed up straight away for my first five kilometre race as an amputee, uh, which I finished in less than 50 minutes. I didn't fall over, which is very good. And uh, and I didn't come last either. Uh, And that was the beginning of a long return to endurance sports. And in the new configuration, uh, I've run two full marathons. I then got a cycling leg and had to learn to ride a bike all over again Um, and I learned to swim again. Um, I tried breaststroke but I find that every time I kick I turn left. (laughs) So uh, I stick with freestyle because then I can swim in a straight line. Um, So with the swimming, the cycling and the running, as you would expect, uh, I do triathlons and I've competed in triathlons up to half Ironman. Uh, which is a 1.2-mile open water swim, then 56 miles on the bike, and then a 13.1-mile half marathon. Um, (laughs) And this last August, I was in the British Paratriathlon Championships for the fourth time. Um, It's just brilliant to be able to train and race again. I'm not as fast as I used to be, um, but I'm not as young as I used to be either. (laughs) And um, yeah, and then in uh, 2016, as a as a retirement present, I had a go at Kilimanjaro um, with our second son Tom. You can probably work out from the photo which one I am. Um, <laughs> our son Tom is the is the third one in line. And then later on in the trek, here we are at the summit, the highest point in Africa just under 6,000 metres. This was taken at 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, It was minus 5 degrees centigrade, so all the water in the packs had frozen. Um, And we were breathing only half the oxygen that we are enjoying at Milford Baptist Church this morning. Uh, So we took a couple of quick photographs and then went downstairs to where we could breathe again. Um, It's still hard to believe we got away with that. It's another one of those miracles that I was telling you to watch out for. And then uh, in 2019, um, I was off adventuring again. This was a trek to Everest Base Camp, which was another fabulous adventure. And last year, our book was released, um, Highway 35, which you heard about. Uh, We've got plenty of copies um, over coffee afterwards, um, which we're happy to, to sign and sell.
1: So in summary, we'd say, yes, we can see the rainbow that the little girl drew in her card because every day for us now is a gift. So thank you for listening. And then I think we're gonna open it up to any questions you may have. Now, we do mean any questions. Um, We've spoken to a lot of audiences, including children. And I can remember being in a class of six and seven-year-olds when uh, one bright spark puts up his hand and says,